Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. Uh, and today we're going to go and look through all the signings that have happened since we recorded after deadline day. Uh, and then also go through some trade rumors and stuff that's happening throughout the hockey world. Uh, we're going to start with um, a story that uh, we need to talk about. And it's another story, unfortunately, that is not uh, not uplifting by any means. It's the Hockey Canada news. Um, obviously, there's been reports of going on uh, for a little while now that in 2018, um, a, a claim's come out that uh, eight players sexually assaulted a woman in London um, from it was the world June, the 2018 world junior team. And I think they said possibly CHL players or other members. Um, some players have come out. I know, I think it was McCarr, Robert Thomas came out this week. There's been, I think 10 of them at least now that have come out and denied having anything to do with it. Um, there's obviously also people who haven't commented. Um, and then this week, it also came out that hockey Canada covered up the, uh, the original, issue back in 2018 um, with a private fund that they use. So they obviously, they have insurance to, uh, to help cover this, but because they didn't want it to go public, they used a public fund that they used through like just national equity fund to cover up a sexual assault claim, um, which is just disgusting. Like there's no yep. other words. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. There's no, there's no reasonable other side of this. When the prime minister of Canada is coming out and calling it absolutely unacceptable, you've probably screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. When you get the prime minister talking about hockey Canada, that is, that is not a good sign. Yeah. Um, honestly, like, and I'm, I advise anyone to follow if you're not, I mean, Hey, if you're not already following him, do so, but go just look at Rick Westhead on Twitter. His, timeline uh our westhead he kind of yeah, he, he's all over the story he's covering every detail of it and that's all his tweets have been for the past couple weeks um and you know i think that would be the best best way that's where i've been getting a lot of my information anyways and trying to stay on top of it but um yeah, he's the best best yeah. investigative journalist in all of hockey i would think by a really wide margin Katie Strang's up there as well, I would yeah, say. Yeah, Katie but, Strang was the only person I could think of that's close. Yep. So, um, yeah, like I, the two of them definitely go and, and they have um, all the details. But, um, yeah, like this this obviously came. A woman alleges she was sexually assaulted by eight Canadian Hockey League players, uh, including some who were on Canada's World Junior Team. Um, so, and that investigation has opened up again. I get there's just there's not much to say on this, but it's something that needs to obviously be brought up. And like, it's not hard to say that this is unacceptable behavior. Like, that's fucking such a low bar to say. And obviously, that, but like, stories keep coming up a bit. And you sometimes wonder how low of a bar it really has to be. It's like, like, this should be common sense. Yeah, you would hope so. It's, it's shitty that this keeps happening. And there's not really an end in sight, right? No. And again, it's one of those things where stories like this coming to the front is shitty. But, and, but it's not the right word. You want it, it needs to happen as well for behavior to stop and for people to realize this is not okay. Yeah. And 
I still think we're at the point where a lot of people aren't aware how common it is. Like, obviously, on the Twitter bubble, they are, but the broader, the broader yeah. public. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, just a, an all-around horrible situation. Um, the investigation is still going on. So, um, you know, the, the one thing I've definitely seen pointed out by a couple people is um, – Public silence, uh, Steve Warren from TSN had a pretty good tweet. I thought he said, you know, public silence isn't an admission of implication of guilt. Public denial without provable alibi is not a proof of innocence either. Um, that being said, it's fair to wonder one way or the other why people haven't come up. But, you know, it's one of the things where you have to wait for the investigation to be done and go from there. And that doesn't mean that, you know, um, if it just comes up that, oh, we don't, we randomly don't have enough evidence or whatever, that doesn't prove innocence either. Um, but it, it's one of those things where I've seen a lot of people, because I mean, it's getting down to the point where the people who haven't come out and said anything are lower and lower in numbers every day. And people are kind of rightfully or wrongfully assuming most of those people are probably implicated in it. And it's quite possible. It's also possible that they just can't say something for a legal reason. So uh, I don't know. It's just a shitty situation uh, all around. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's pretty horrible. I'm not aware. I'm sure there's more to it than meets the eye for why not everybody has come out and said something. But it certainly is fair to wonder why some have said things and others haven't. Yeah, exactly. Especially when I know I can't remember if it was Formanton or Batherson, but one of them shared an agent with another player who was already the agent came out for the other player and said they weren't involved, but didn't mention the sense player. So, yeah. but um, all right. Uh, no easy transition on that at all. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, again, like we, we don't have much to offer and, but it's something that you need to talk about. So uh, I, I think even, you know, not offering a ton necessarily in terms of how to move past it, then don't be a shit human being. Um, like I, I get that's again, a low bar, but at the same time, it's, uh, that's more important to acknowledge it, I think, than just act like it didn't happen or is, hasn't happened or isn't happening. Right. So. A hundred percent. Cause these things happen so often you really can't just ignore them. Exactly. Um, all right, let's get on to the news that has broken since we last recorded. Um, we obviously recorded at about five o'clock last week on free agency day on the Wednesday. Um, it is a week from that point now. It's 442 on Wednesday. Uh, and the biggest one from that day that we missed was Johnny Goudreau, although there was about four other big signings that happened that evening um, as well. But the biggest fish finally dropped right as we finished recording, like two hours after we're done recording. Johnny Goudreau goes to Columbus of all teams. It looked like writing was on the wall that it was going to be Philly or New Jersey. Philly backed out. Everyone thought it was New Jersey. Columbus swoops in, gets him at 9.75 for seven years, $68 million. He left like 12 plus million dollars on the table um, going away from Calgary with the eighth year. And then obviously Calgary is offering over 10. Um, shocking signing. Uh, one of the more shocking signings, I think, of any free agency that I can remember. Yeah, absolutely nuts. He just left a he left a cup contender for a team that's been irrelevant most of our lives. 
and he took a discount to do so. Yeah. Um, so uh, he posted something in the Players Tribune today, and it was a really well thought out message. I thought, and you know, it basically it boiled down to a family decision where he talked. His dad had a massive heart attack in 2018, I believe it was, um, and you know, he kind of realized that he doesn't get to see them as much as you'd like. Obviously, being in Canada and the pandemic made that even worse. So being in Columbus is a lot closer to, I think they're from New Jersey. Um, it's a lot just easier to get back and forth quickly than um, obviously Calgary, um, which is fair enough. But at the same time, like, again, it, and then he also mentioned in that article, he said that's one of the reasons he didn't mind leaving money on the table, obviously. Um, but from purely on ice perspective, this is I, like, Johnny Goudreau has to be one of the top three to five players already in Columbus history. Skaters, at least, like excluding Bobrovsky. Yeah, you got Peak Nash and Peak Panarin. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, if he and Panarin was only there for, what, two years? Three years, maybe? I think it was two, right? I think it was two. It could have been three. Let me see, see real quick. Um, but, yeah, like, if, if Goudreau plays at, like, the level he's been at for the past couple of years for three years. And then for the back four years of this contract, even just plays as like good, like he will cement himself as one of the best players. And it was just two years, uh, but he'll cement himself as one of the best players in Columbus Blue Jackets history, which is kind of goes to how irrelevant the franchise has been, as you said, that that's already the case. But um, honestly, like for Columbus, I thought it was a weird fit at first. I still kind of do. Um, because I don't really get what they're doing with their core, but I kind of like this Columbus team for at least this year in terms of a dark horse to compete for a playoff spot. Yeah, for a playoff spot, they're probably a pretty good bet. I think this is – they've drafted really, really well. In my opinion, this is a pretty big bet that they're going to find – continue to draft well without top picks. They're kind of like – they really seem all in on like Cole Sillinger, Kent Johnson, like their last couple picks basically where it's like, these guys are going to be the real deal. Like it, I, that's kind of, I don't maybe it's just as simple as they didn't think they were going to be in on a player like Goudreau, but he comes around and kind of like the Panarin thing in New York, people were like, well, how often does a Panarin come around? Now I think the argument against that is we're already seeing Panarin's five on five play driving numbers kind of drop. And that's kind of the argument against signing is like, yes, a Panera might, might not be around every year, but that doesn't mean just because he is around, you have to go spend the money because you're not going to get the most out of him when you're paying him and need it. But yeah, that one's kind of a tough call. It's tough to know how good drills. I actually think Panera will work as a pretty decent comparable there, actually. Yeah. I mean, Panera obviously makes a little more. And, and that's the other thing too. I think maybe, if Goudreau was demanding 11 mil from Columbus, maybe they don't do it. But at 9.75, like 1.25 doesn't seem like much, but that is a discount over a seven-year contract. Oh, yeah, that adds up for sure. So it'll be interesting to see. I wonder if they need to try and get off of Jacob Voracek because they have $2.3 million in projected cap space and still have Patrick Line on sign. That's why this was even more confusing. It's not well, like they, this team was flush with cash. No, but and they do have outs. Like Gustav Nyquist makes 5.5 this year. You could move off of him. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure 
they will make it work. But it's just odd that a team that was kind of bad to begin with signed him and then it's going to have to take away to make it work. Like when the yeah, Leafs for- signed Tavares, they didn't go and dump two guys or whatever. No. And, and, but again, like the other thing, they would have probably had some of that cap space before this offseason. But this is why, like, they're paying Eric Gabranson $4 million. This is why you don't, well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you don't do that deal. But this <laughs> is just yeah. another massive one on top of the pile. Yeah. Like, how, how much better does the cap sheet look? You got six and a half basically to get line A work signed. Even if that's a little too small, you can free up another million or whatever. And there you go. Done. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. They, they, I really like this four core though, or the potential of this four core anyways, like they're going to be able to run some combo of line a Goudreau, Bjorkstrand, uh, Ross Levick, Schillinger, uh, Kent Johnson. Um, I'm assuming Boone general, but Alexander Texier, Jacob Voracek, Gustav Nyquist, and Jack Roslevic as their top 10 forwards or whatever. They have a ton of forwards. So, like, I don't even know if I'm assuming he probably will, but I don't even know if Kent Johnson's a lock to crack this roster. Like, I don't I mean, know. He's one anyways. top prospect, I would think he'll make it, but I'm not 100% sure. Emil Bemstrom is another name that they have that they like as well. Like, yeah, Kirill uh, Marchenko's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to have a ton of options. I think their um, their forward depth is going to be silently very, very good. And they very like they with Goudreau, they have a, a, more of that top end talent that they were definitely lacking even over the past like since they lost Panarin, basically. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, the odds of Line A staying, I have to imagine, just skyrocketed. Yeah, the latest rumors, he actually wants to sign like a long-term deal here. So if you can do that, I think you have to. Like, Yeah, when you sign Goudreau, you're in on this group anyways. You can't let Line A walk after you sign Goudreau, I don't think. Yeah, and like there's a lot of teams I'm not sure signing Line A to a long-term contract would be the absolute smartest bet to do. But with this group, like with Columbus, you, you need the high-end talent anyway. So I think he's the exact type of team that should be looking for that boomer. But, well, I mean, obviously you want just boom, but taking more of a risk on a guy who's a boomer bust kind of player. Yeah, 100%. Trust that uh, Trust that later in the draft you can find play drivers, but you're not going to get shooters like line A without uh, top picks. So don't burn it. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Um, yeah, so that's definitely the biggest move that went down. Um, but there were some others that night, including a pair of Colorado Avalanche signings. Um, one that made sense to me, the other, maybe not so much. Um, although I, I'm wondering if we even talked about the one already. Um, but Josh Manson and Arturi Lekkinen get signed. And according to Cap Friendly, this was after we had, uh, after the Goudreau one. So I assume we had talked, talked about, about Lekkinen, didn't we? We did not talk about Lekkinen. I know that was the one that went down late that night. Oh. It would, I, th- I think, anyways. Um, anyways, we, we can touch on both of them, too. And we would definitely touch on Victor Olsen, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And they, they're saying that one's after the Goudreau one, too, which I just really didn't think so. But um, when you're anyways, Josh- online as we are, though, sometimes you get it three hours before it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. 
But if we did talk about these, sorry. Um, but Josh Manson and Terry Lekkinen both signed. Manson gets five years at 4.5. Or sorry, um, Lekkinen gets five years at 4.5. And Manson gets four years at 4.5. Um, I, I love the Lekkinen deal. I think that's extremely yeah. smart and just proves how why that trade was genius as well. Because, you know, he was an RFA and this is always what people thought they were going to do. I thought it was going to be a little less term, but I, I like it. Like it. I think Lekkonen's a very good middle six forward and 4.5 for a guy who can slide up to your second line for if needed, but can be a really, really good third liner. Um, I think that's very fair value. Yeah, 100%. Because this was contract, the term was going to be the thing that hurts, but they should be able to walk away right before we get ugly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then with Manson, this one I don't really I, – I just think Josh Manson's kind of available most deadlines. Yeah, we say this a lot when, like, Tampa was signing Savard or whatever, but, like, the perk of being Colorado and being smarter than everyone else is you don't need to sign Josh Manson to this contract. Yeah, especially for, like, through his 34-year-old season. Yeah. Like, if Manson's four years – if Manson's Lekkonen's age, maybe I'm more like, all right, like, there's a good chance we know what – like, we know what Manson is, but there's a good chance he plays at this level for a couple more years. That's probably worth – close-ish to $4.5 million. Maybe it's a little overpaid or whatever, but it's worth enough to have that security. Manson's 30. There's no guarantee that he's going to be even the number three D that he was this year or whatever, right? Like three, four, like the second pair guy that we think of him as right now. A hundred percent. Like Manson was a top pair guy, peaked at around age 26, and he's basically been getting worse ever since. Like he's literally just on the classic age curve. And you locked him in for the down part of that ride. Yeah. So I can't say I really agree with that one um, from Sackick's perspective, but uh, um, we'll we'll have to see um, what else they have in store. Uh, You know, that'll probably be most of their offseason. Although it's, and it sounds like they want to, the the rumor now that they've locked him up is they might still be in on Kadri and they'd be willing to um, uh, move Gerard for it, which that to me would be a massive mistake. That would be awful. They've really leaned into the thing. And for the most part, it's just, I, I think most of them have been smart individually. But they just won a championship, and they did the thing that every team that's ever won a championship has done. It's we're bringing the entire band back together if we can. Yeah, and, and it just it so rarely works. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see where that goes. And moving Gerard General, I think, would be a mistake. But especially to bring back a guy who just had his career year at age 30 or whatever, however old Kadri, 31, I think he is now, right? Like, yeah, that, that would just be a mistake. It, it just, there's no other way to put it. Yeah, exactly. It's like we've been saying for forever. Whoever signs Kadri is the litmus test for who actually understands player evaluation. Yeah, exactly. Because so. that contract's going to suck very soon. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to... Let's go to Dylan Strom. He signed a contract as well um, and goes to the Washington Capitals who are putting together a pretty silently good offseason, I would say, to try and keep themselves in the uh, playoff mix in that Metro division, considering if you would have told me about two weeks ago, I would have said their window is slammed shut. And I still kind of think their cup window is uh, definitely kind of very dwindled. Let's put it that way. Um, but 
they're at least now a team where like I, I would have pegged them to be a team that take a massive step back this year. Uh, they've now added Connor Brown, um, Darcy Kemper, and Dylan Strom. Like those are all very good NHL players that just are probably going to help them be a playoff team in the East again. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because yeah, like you said, their window's probably gone, but they're probably Pittsburgh good now at least. Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing with them it probably depends on Kuznetsov if he can repeat the season he had again last year. Um, yeah. And also McMichael, uh, if he can take another step up and, you know, maybe help take some of that weight off of Kuznetsov as well. But um, even just having Dylan Strom as a guy who can play 2C, you know, while Backstrom recovers, because Backstrom sounds like he's going to be out very long term. He did sound like uh, the last report came out that he's not going to retire anything. He's working his way back to play. But like just the way they described that injury, I can't imagine he's going to be playing for most like most of this year he's going to be out if not like all of it i would assume yeah it sounds like you shouldn't bank on him at all this year yeah so um i i I like that signing and for strong i think that's i think it's a smart enough deal too he's still an rfa apparently uh this summer too it's one year but you know if uh he prices himself out of washington so be it but I think there's probably a lot worse scenarios to be in than getting a chance to go play with Ovechkin or on a power play with Ovechkin or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent puts, it definitely gives him out to a big contract. Yeah, exactly. And just, you know, he's going to be on a competitive enough team this year. Like I don't think he's going to go on a deep playoff run or anything, but this is another roster where I, you know, I, I kind of like it again, like, or it's, it's good. Like, which I, I really thought heading into this summer that Washington could be a team where it's like, oh, like they they could be one of those teams that drop to the bottom 10 of the league and earn a lottery this year. And maybe age catches up to some of them, but with the moves they've made, I'd be a little surprised if they completely, the bottom completely fell out now. Yeah, 100%. And especially with like Columbus getting way better and New Jersey looking to take a step, you, you kind of got to keep, improving just to stay where you were in their division, especially yeah. as their players get older. 100%. And I think it's going to be interesting when we get to the previews to see how we have the Metro and honestly the East just a general shaking out because there are, again, a lot of just really fine teams in it. <laughs> like in the Metro, you got Carolina, the Rangers, um, You'd expect, oh, I don't know. I think most people expect the Islanders to take a step back to where, you know, maybe probably not like, I mean, granted last year, if you look, they were closer to a playoff team than bottom five in the league, but the Islanders will be right around there theoretically again. Maybe not with no Barry Trotz, but I wouldn't Draft be shocked. Kings, DraftKings has them fourth, most likely to win that division above Washington. Yeah. So uh, see, I'm above, well, I'd probably put Washington ahead, but, but again, like there's, so there's, Three teams I already mentioned in um, Carolina, both New York teams. Pittsburgh is going to be there, obviously, right in the mix. Washington looks like they're going to be in the mix. Columbus could be in the mix. It'll depend on their goaltending and decor. And then, as you said, New Jersey looks primed like they want to take another step. So it's really seven teams competing for three to four playoff spots and maybe five, I guess, if Boston really falls off. But um, and then it's just Philly in the division that isn't good. So it'll be quite interesting um, because we'll jump over to New Jersey and they made a couple, uh, they made a signing as well. Actually two since we last recorded and a trade. So we'll get to the signings first. 
Uh, Andre Palat goes to New Jersey, five years, $6 million AAV. Um, I, I, the term's not bad. Like, it's better than a seven-year deal, obviously. Palat's already 31, though, and he has, they gave him a full no move. Uh, oh, sorry, no, just 10-team trade, no moves starting uh, July 25th. 2025, geez, sorry. Um, so that's actually not as bad as I thought. It's it, it kind of feels like one of those moves where it's like, it's not horrible, but it's also just not great. Like, it's fine. Yeah, it's similar to the Colorado conversation. You know what works even less well than bringing the band back together from your championship team? No matter Stealing the sport. Band. Yeah, stealing the the good team's depth guys and promoting them. Yeah, and like when they're over the hill age wise. I think maybe the one thing you can argue, well, no, he will definitely be promoted. Like Pilato will probably be in the same role where he's not expected to like be the line driver. Like he'll probably play, I'd imagine, with one of Hughes or Hichier and just kind of help them out, which is it's a fine fit. But yeah, like it's just one of those things where this team theoretically hasn't entered their competing window right now. Like I'm assuming the way they're spending, they'd want to line that up. So it's in three years from now, two to three years from now. Right. And in three years from now, they're already going to be paying a 34 year old plot, $6 million and like a 32 year old Dougie, $9 million. Like it's just one of those things where this team just kind of has like Minnesota wild of the past 10 years written all over it unless Holtz becomes like an absolute star or something like that. But like they need a difference breaker up front because right now it just kind of feels like they're going to be like the seventh best team in the East for a while. Yeah, for sure. Cause I don't, at least Hamilton's like star upside. Like you only get one of these plot contracts. And if you like, this is your margin for error is gone mm-hmm. kind of thing as you enter your competitive window. Yeah. And like, being able to Jack Hughes becoming a legit like star centerman would also be something to justify maybe spending this. And I'm, you know, we always say you got to give your guys the chance to go show what they're made of. Right. So yep. maybe they're looking at it as well, like let's go get Pilat. And then we know, cause if Hughes isn't a star centerman, they're screwed anyways. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, like they, they, Went and signed uh, Palat, and then they also signed Vitek Vanacek to three years, 3.4 per. Good luck with that, I guess. I, I don't really – like, it's the classic case of they traded for him, so I think they probably had to pay him um, a decent amount. But the dude's played 80, 79 play, uh, games and has a 908 save percentage in the NHL, which is fine, but not exactly the guy maybe be hitching my wagon to. I don't know. Like – it's a fine enough deal, I guess, but I, I'm a little skeptical of a tandem of Vanacek Blackwood. I'll say that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not disastrous, but it's certainly not. It's not something to be excited about, I don't think, because it's cheap enough. The downside's not horrible, but still. Yeah, for sure. Um, breaking news: Hockey Canada says it will no longer use funds to settle sexual assault claims. Wow. Really raising the bar there, right? Slow Uh, clap for him there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, New Jersey also made a trade, which we can get into now. Uh, They send – let me get the exact details of this so I uh, don't screw it up. Um, But they pick up John Marino 
And the other way, they send Ty Smith and a 2023rd third round pick to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, Marino makes $4.4 million for another five years um, and is just 25 years old. I really like this pickup, honestly, from the Devils' perspective. I think Marino, Marino is the exact type of guy I want Ottawa to uh, target, um, you know, when they said they were in on a right-handed D. Uh, young enough where, in, unlike Palat, where he's 31, he kind of fits this court, even if you want to be competing in two years, he'll be 27 years old and 27 to 30 is when you'd be paying him. I think that works fine enough um, and helps with their right-handed D depth uh, where they're going to have a lot of options. They have Dougie, obviously. Now they have Marino, they have Damon Severson. And then obviously they just drafted Simon Nemec. Uh, this means they, like, there's no reason to rush Simon Nemec to the NHL. If you know, he's not ready, just let him develop. This is also why you don't draft for need. Yes, yes, because look at <laughs> how easy John Marino is available, right? Yeah, now they have three top four right-handed defensemen, and suddenly you probably prefer another good centerman instead of a right-handed defenseman. Yeah, I'm but, guessing Damon Severson's probably gone this off-season. He's a UFA. Yeah, it wouldn't even shock me if they trade him now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like I, I like the pickup of Marino, especially in the back. I respect it. Like, Ty Smith statistically coming out of junior looked like a guy with a ton of upside. And even if looking back, this sucks, I respect the team who's willing to call their shot after two years of the guy in the NHL and the team that holds on to him for eight years until he's horrible. Yeah, they're like, we're not taking a chance of like, they're not Ottawa Senators Cody CCA or anything like that. Where it's yeah, like, no, we're gonna exactly. we're gonna force this dude in our top six or top four or whatever, even if he sucks. And um, on the flip side of it, I I don't even mind the trade for Pittsburgh either. Like, obviously, I think you'd rather not give up Marino. Um, but considering they were in a, they're in a cap crunch, um, getting a guy with the pedigree of Ty Smith and a, a pick back as well to help give you more ammo to go probably trade for someone at the deadline it's not the worst thing in the world. And I think Ty Smith is going to be able to play in a depth role on that Penn's blue line where, you know, maybe he can be a little more protected and fit in a role. That's a little better for him. Yeah. 100%. And the, the Penn's need upside. Mm-hmm. They have basically no young player with any upside on their entire roster in there. And Ty Smith has been pretty bad defensively once he's in the NHL once he's been in the NHL, but he's still a puck-moving defenseman with upside, and that is something this team desperately needed. So yeah, it kind of makes sense. And they got exactly. victory anyways for that right side. I'm going to say, so the other puck-moving defenseman they went and picked up with uh, upside, he definitely has upside in terms of what we've seen, um, but last year was a disaster year, and that's Jeff Petrie uh, from the Montreal Canadiens. Um, the trade there was, let me pull this up as well, um, these but basically broke back to back on Saturday, by the way, like one obviously was there and then the other, um, but they sent Michael Matheson back to Montreal with a fourth round pick for Petrie and uh, Ryan Poling. I, I love this trade for Pittsburgh. I think beautiful trade. I think Petrie is a smart enough bet to make. There's obviously the risk there that his age, like he's old, like there, there's no, no doubt about that. Or old for NHL standards, obviously. He's 34 years old and he had a bad year last year, Um, but that was his first bad year in a very long time. So betting on a dude when you're all in to help you move the pocket, $6.25 million, I think is um, great. Not to mention 
you get out for that Mike Matheson contract. Yeah, because that Mike Matheson contract was, it actually looked all right in Pittsburgh, but it looked horrible in Florida. So you're basically just betting that you have an elite coach that can make it work with Jeff Petrie, which seems fair enough. Not that Petrie's had bad coaches in the like Petrie's been good wherever he's gone too. So I like yeah, that. Yeah, and he's another one on Pittsburgh's blue line. I think he's going to fit well because he can play behind Latang and Dublin. So it'll probably be him and like Marcus Pedersen or Jan Ruta on that second pair. And, you know, I think a big part of Petrie's struggles last year in Montreal was that he had to be basically the guy who did everything for them because the team sucked. Yeah, which he obviously can't do and he shouldn't have to do. And the nice thing with Petrie, too, like you said, if he can't play in two years because he's old, guess what? Your team's probably cooked by then anyway, so whatever. Yeah, so, um, again, another one where I think, you know, a a good work by Pittsburgh to keep themselves in the mix in this division. Um, For Montreal, I'm not – like they get out, they, they said they want to make a shakeup. They, it was clear they kind of wanted to move on from Petrie. That's fair. I'm not sure picking up the Mike Matheson contract makes a ton of sense to me, just in terms of he's got 40, like he's got longer term left than Petrie. Granted, he's six years younger, so maybe that's why you're fine with it. And um, maybe you're counting that he is the defenseman we saw him in Pittsburgh and not in Florida, um, because as you mentioned, he had two good years in Pittsburgh. Uh, before that, it was a lot of mediocre to below mediocre results in Florida. So, yeah, I'm thinking he's going to struggle in Montreal. But, you know, looking at their caption, maybe I'm assuming the plan is probably going to be run Mike Matheson and David Savard as the first pair next year to just protect their prospects for the next couple of years, honestly. Which, yeah, if There's you're tanking, that. yeah, and if you're tanking, that, that, that's probably fine. Yeah, and you got to compete with Chicago that's looking to ice zero <laughs> NHL players. You got to do something drastic. Yeah, and you know, even like Arizona, Arizona will still be in that mix as well. Yeah, Arizona's so, going to ice like four of them. Yeah, I, I thought the, the return was a little underwhelming, maybe, but uh, I, I can kind of see it, I guess, more from the picking up the Matheson contract of just you kind of need an NHL body so you're not throwing like Justin Barron to the wind or whatever. Yeah, you're right. I I hated it for Montreal first. You've you've talked me into it. I think Pittsburgh definitely got the better side of it, it's fair to say. But yes. Uh, all right, let's move on to a couple more signings. We'll go the last really big one, and then there's some more depth pieces that got signed. Um, but Josh Norris signs an eight-year deal with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, just shy of $8 million AAV, uh, definitely higher than I was expecting. $7.95 million per year uh, for eight years. 23-year-old centerman who scored 35 goals in 63 games last year. Um, I obviously have some thoughts on it. It's the reaction from Sen's Twitter versus everywhere outside of Sen's Twitter was hilarious. Um a bunch of people have probably fairly not watched a lot of Ottawa Senators hockey over the past couple of years. Uh, I don't blame them one bit for that. So a lot of people went, who the hell is this guy getting $63 million on an eight year deal? Um, I, I like the deal in terms of, I'd much rather they sign Josh Norris to this than try and nickel and dime him and just trade him away and not have him on the team. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the Sens have committed to this core. You have to sign this contract for term. Yes. And so that's why I'm okay with the deal. It's higher than I was probably hoping. Um, yeah, this, like I was, this was expensive to me. I was hoping it was going to, if it was eight, I just think it was going to be like seven mil was the cap that they went to. So like maybe you'd say nine, but like 950K is, a, it's enough, especially for a budget team. Um, yep. But yeah, like they're clearly betting that his shot is legit, which it's a fair enough bet to make. Like, it's not like um, when Mark Stone would just feed like Zach Smith 25 goals in a year or whatever. <laughs> and it was yeah. just, or even like Colin White had 20 with him the one year. And it was just painfully obvious. It was his teammate doing literally everything um, where, you know, it, like, it's like, this isn't sustainable. Josh Norris has an elite shot and watch about five hockey games. And it'll become very clear that that is the case. Um now, the biggest thing that he's going to need to work on for this contract to be a success for Ottawa is either he's got to shoot close to 18%, which is his career average right now for three years, or he's got to, if he's going to dip below that, which is very likely, he's got to get better at driving play at five on five. Yeah. And that does seem like he likely will. He's still relatively young and he hasn't had great quality of teammates. This is just the big boy version of the Batherson bet, right? Um, guy yeah. killed the AHL. You've seen progression in the NHL. We're betting we can watch him get even better. Probably, but Batherson was so cheap where it's like, even if he doesn't get better to like the second line forward he was at the time, it didn't matter. Like Batherson makes under $5 million. Yeah. Which is just, just insane. Like this is definitely, it's definitely a little more on steroids. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, like it's a it's a pretty big step up. Maybe a better way to look at it is this is like a discount or like a, a lower version of like a Mitch Marner bet, if that makes sense. I don't know. Marner was worth, I think, close to what he made in terms of on ice. I mean, what he made on, in terms of on ice value when he signed that contract. But it's the same kind of idea where it's like you probably want him to take another step forward to be truly worth that contract. And he absolutely did. Yeah. Or similar to the Jack Hughes one. Yep, yep, that's another good comparable. I don't like it as much as the Hughes contract, but no, it I think Hughes, in that Hughes has much more upside than Norris. Um, but at the same time, like I think if Norris just the, the nice thing about for Ottawa's perspective, and maybe this is a reason you don't pay him eight million dollars, but Norris doesn't have to be the one C of this team in the future for them to still be really, really good. In fact, I would argue he probably shouldn't be the one C of the future if this team is going to be really, really good. That's got to be Tim Stutzlow. Yeah, if, if he's the one C, most of this won't have mattered. <laughs> no, unless like Stutzlow's like just as good and it's just kind of picking hairs. But from what yeah. I saw from like, I think he will probably be the two C as early as next year, just in terms of like skill. So, um, but again, like... You can go back and forth on that. You can go, well, you shouldn't be paying your 2C $8 million. Or you can look at it and go, this dude is a 1C on a handful of NHL teams. It just rocks that we have him as a 2C. So, Yeah, yeah. What did Sense Twitter generally think of this? I was curious for that. Most people just like that he signed eight years, Fair. Um, I think. There was definitely a little hesitation in terms of the AAV, but I think most people were just so happy that they got it done. And, like again, to be fair – so I've seen obviously people calling him a power play merchant because that's where he did a lot of his scoring last year. 
the power play is something you need to take in consideration. This is something that I think stats and myself very much included have gotten, I don't know, wrongs the right word to put on it, but kind of overlook the value of how being good on the power play when you've proven you can do it can be to a team. Yeah. I think we're directionally right. We're like you, weighing down, weighting power play relative to most people is smart. Yes. I think but you, you can go too far. Yes. I think it gets overrated by the general public and maybe underrated a little bit by people trying to downplay it, If that makes sense. A hundred percent. Like you can't just post Josh Norris's RAPM chart out five on five against somebody else and be like, well, I'll fucking got him. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, well, no, like I'm, I'm okay with a guy who I know is a lethal shot on the power play and will probably score 25 goals every year. Right. Like, yeah. So, um, and, and the thing about that too, is I do think is, you know, his possession numbers and probably honestly just assist numbers and stuff will get better as he might be playing with Alex Dobrynkin now. Well, that's the other thing. There's a chance, something that everybody was really pissed at the least for doing and this will be less extreme, but everybody was pissed at the Leafs because they let Mitch Marner play with Tavares for a full year before signing him. And that was back when Tavares made everyone who plays with him have a career year. Ottawa might have gotten out in front of that if they did this now instead of bridging him to go yeah, exactly. later. Like, he's going to be playing with one of Debrinket or Giroux, very likely. And if he's not yeah. playing with either one of those guys, he's going to be playing with some bum named Drake Batherson and like Brady Kachuk probably on this left wing is the de facto first or second line. Like, yeah, I, I don't know the sense roster so well, but your best shooter with your best passer now and Drew seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, I could absolutely see it. And then, you know, to bring, and even to bring, it's a great playmaker as well. So um, I, I mean, everyone yeah, kind of seems true. to be penciling in the top six of being some mix of Stutzla, Giroux, to Norris, Batherson, um, Kachuk, which makes sense, but then there's also Matthew Joseph, Shane Pinto, and Alex Formanton on the third line, and I think you could see those guys slide up as well to if you want to go for a deeper top nine than just loading up the top six. But regardless, the other thing too is we talk about power play. Josh Norris is not going to be like at the end of last year, teams were literally just putting two guys on him so he couldn't shoot because it was clear he was Ottawa's main target that they would just try and feed over and over and over again on the power play. Adding Giroux, who's going to be able to distribute the puck, and also Alex Dabrinkit, who's got a lethal shot of his own, is going to be able to open up some more space for him, too. So, Yeah, that'll be pretty clutch on the power play to actually have a plethora of threats there. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the biggest thing, too, because their first power play was fine last year. Like, they could run out a unit of Shabbat, Batherson, Norris, um, Stutzla, and Kachuk. And that's not horrible by any means. Their second unit was running like Colin White, Tyler Ennis, and Adam Gaudet on it. It's like, oh man, this draw, like you should just be playing your first power play two minutes. Now they're going to be able to put some of that depth on the second power play. And it's not just an automatic, yeah, this unit's not scoring. Yeah, because even I remember the old Leafs power play when they would load the first and then it was just Nylander and friends on the second. Like your entire second unit wasn't completely awful just because you have somebody with legitimate offensive talent there. And there's a lot of value with that. Yeah, exactly. So um, again, like the one thing I was talking to a couple of people online about, um, he, the North shot 20% this year. Uh, that's not going to happen again. 
Granted, he shot 17% the year before, um, but like I was doing the math and even if he shot 15% next year or like just on, on average, right? Which I think for him, he's had a lethal shot where like he's had that all growing up as well and in junior too. So I think it's fair to say that he could be a 13 to 15% shooter and that shouldn't shock anyone. Um, but if he shot 15% on last year, like on the 20% goal total instead, uh, over the 66 games he played, he would have 25.8 goals, which over a 82-game uh, pace is 32 goals. Like, if you get a 32-goal scorer who can also just play well even as your 2C, I'm probably not complaining about that for 7.95. Yeah, especially as the term extends. For context yeah. on the shooting percentage, Matthew's about 16.5 on his career. So something like 13 to 15 is probably the range for – that next year of guy. Yep, exactly. Like if he's, again, like you can do the math down as well. Like if he's 13%, even like 11%, let's say he has a, a super down year and he cuts it in half or whatever at 11%, like that's still a 20 goal score with everything going wrong, theoretically. Yeah, it's a pretty good floor. So, um, yeah, I, I like the contract. I, there's definitely risk involved. Uh, it's not a slam dunk win. Like I think some of Sense Twitter was making it seem like, but Again, I kind of just default back to it's been so miserable for five years watching everyone just walk and no one want to sign here at all. If you're going to tell me that they signed their 23-year-old like guy who honestly two years ago, I didn't even think he was going to be an NHLer to a contract where he's probably going to be your one or two C for the next couple of years, I'm fine with it. I, I'd much rather that than, than be like, well, we can't sign him long-term, so let's just trade him for futures again and hope we find another Josh Norris. Yeah, because that's that's wild down the road. And this offseason, you just committed to this core. So you got, you got to go for it. Yeah, so um, definitely not without its risk, but I am I'm fine with the contract. I like it, and I'm excited to see Norris on my favorite team for eight more years. Uh, all right, yeah. let's get to two Leaf signings that they made. They re-signed Pierre Engvall, one year, $2.25 million. Uh, let's do that one quick. Um, Toronto Media always makes me laugh with players like Engvall and uh, Mikheyev is another one too. Um, like Engvall, the biggest one was uh, they always like, like, sorry, I shouldn't say always the, I listen to a lot of TSN overdrive. Yeah. And they're always like, is this dude even like a top 12 forward? It's like, yes, Pierre Engvall is a top 12 forward, but they did the same shit with Mikheyev. And then I forget the quote, Steve Dangle. I'm going to put some words in his mouth because I forget exactly what they were, but basically he was like, this is a turning point. Kyle Lewis is an idiot when they signed Pierre Engvall to 1.25. That's a real thing that happened. Yeah. Like, and then like, it's the same thing. So like uh, the radio stations I listened to as well, were like all the times, like, yeah, I don't know if McKay was like a truly like, top nine guy for any team. And then he walks the truck or Vancouver gets paid a boatload. And most people were like, yeah, that's probably too much for McKay but now suddenly everyone's talking this offseason about how crucial the piece McCabe was that they, they're not going to be able to replace. And that's why they're going to take a step back. And it's just like, maybe, but like you weren't talking <laughs> like that for the past two years. Do you, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Janssen and Captain leaving, they don't have the depth anymore. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like Nick Robertson can't possibly do what Ilya McCabe has done. It's like, well, you just said McCabe wasn't that great for the past two years. So what, which one is it? Yeah. Yeah, so, 100%. I don't know. Like, this was a little higher than I thought Engvall was going to get in terms of just, like, I really thought if Tr Toronto might try and squeeze him for one more year and just let him walk as a UFA next year. But 
Um, it's it's fine value. Like he's a third line player, and two point two five is good value for that. Like, yeah, I actually wish they got more term. Yeah, I'm assuming that's probably why they couldn't. As I think he just wants to go to UFA. Like he's going to lock like McKay the next this year. I think he'll get that McKay deal. I would think. Yeah, yeah, if, especially if he has results like McKay, like if it all clicks like it did for McKay. Yeah, and it's smart for him. I'm going to guess um, Angval's true talent isn't exactly an on-ice shooting percentage driver, but he was a little unlucky in that department last year, so it was really smart of him not to take the turn. But from a Leafs fan perspective, I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Um, and then the other move they made was Callie Yarncroke. Four years, 2.1 per, um, 30 years old, uh, can play left wing, center, or right wing. Uh, give me your thoughts on this contract. So, um, I feel like relative to the median Leafs fan, even on Twitter, something I've done a really good job of is being a lot less fatalistic than most people about all these signings. Uh, this was one where everybody was thrilled, and I was kind of like, I don't love it. I don't hate it, but I it's, it felt unnecessary. Yeah, it kind of... I agree. Um, it like it's like $2 million, so it can't be the end of the world, but it just didn't feel needed. No, yeah, I, like, I, I agree with that, I think, generally. It kind of feels like not quite the same. And I'm sure like they actually did like him or whatever, um, but remember like at the deadline when they got Felino and all those guys where it was very clear that whole year, Kyle Dubas, every kind of, uh, move Kyle Dubas made, was basically just what like mainstream media was clamoring for for two years. And it was just to tell them to shut the hell up when it didn't work. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of that, but not quite as aggressive where it's like, okay, you've got your guy now who is defensively responsible or whatever, and can quote unquote, shut it down when the game gets tight, you know, shut the hell up. We have that. Now yeah, that people are like still that. probably going to be mad because he's five eleven and not six foot three. True. But I don't know. It's just, it's almost things the, where it's a fine signing, but the term kind of confuses me a little bit. And just like, I don't know if, like, I think they should just lean into their identity of being a good offensive team that relies on their big, because like Callie Yarncroke isn't going to, like, if you're relying on Callie Yarncroke to go shut down Tampa's top line in game seven, you're probably losing anyways. Yeah. It doesn't sound great. Although I will say his numbers look similar, but better to David Camp's when Camp signed. And I have to imagine that's the role he gets on years two through four of this contract. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, and again, like there's, I don't think, I don't really picture a scenario where this just is such a disaster, right? But no, it's too cheap to ever be a disaster. Yeah, but it is one of them where it's like, well, I don't know if the upside is necessarily there. Like, maybe it's it is, pretty but, much no upside. Camp was also four years younger when they signed him, right? Like, true. So the the one thing I agree on leaning into their identity, although somebody does have to take defensive zone faceoff shifts. And I honestly don't mind the idea of getting a guy where it's just like you're taking every defensive zone draw so we can maximize the best goal scorer on earth. It's basically they're replacing – because that's what Jason Spezza did last year. They're basically getting a right-handed guy to replace Jason Spezza. 
And yeah, it guy. makes sense that they have to pay a million more than Jason Spezza was making at 950K or whatever, or 700K, yeah. million and a half more, I guess. His projected contract was like 4 million on this, this term, which was wild to me, but. Yeah, that seems a little crazy, but I mean, that's, I guess that makes sense for free agency and how crazy it is. But yeah, I don't, I don't hate the deal. I think it's not, yeah, like it's, I, I'd be a little surprised if this was like a, a home run, like the camp one clearly was, and even the bunting contract was last year. Um, but I think it'll just be fine. Like, I think he will be a good depth addition for them. And if he can round out and help you play defensively or whatever, so be it. Yeah, that's pretty fair. I think at the end of the year, when you put a trend line of like war per dollar spent, is he's going to sit basically on that line. So that's fine. But, you know, you'd like to dream a little bit bigger. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do think that's probably probably is a good way to highlight how spoiled Leafs fans have been maybe over the past couple of years of finding some of these, of Dubas finding some of these guys where if you're just settling for a guy being his contract or whatever like that's good that's a good thing a lot of a lot of teams in free agency sign contracts that are not living up to it at all or even close yeah so um and then funny enough when this deal until like today basically i kind of messed these two up Uh, edmonton signs matthias yanmar i switch the two around in my head all the time they're the same player like yarn croak and uh yarn croak and yanmar yeah because um, when I was, I was like, oh, well, like Catherine's got this wrong. Yeah, market says it's on Edmonton. Um, but no, it's correct. One year, $1.25 million. A fine depth signing for Edmonton. Like, this is the kind of move that they should just be trying to find every year where it's like, he's a bottom six forward. And if you sign him for about a million bucks, that's better than having the non NHL players that they've had on this roster for like four, five years now. <laughs> yeah, it's sad that, like, you've got Connor McDavid and Dry Side. You just need to get competent hockey players at your bottom six you'll probably be all right yeah exactly like and honestly i don't like yanmark's not great to be honest like no yanmark's not good but he's he's an nhl player even if he's only a fourth liner whatever give him a million 1.25 you could do worse than that yep exactly um the only other two names i had on here was just (laughs) it's hilarious to me that philly is trying i think be good this year because they went and signed Justin Braun uh, to a one-year $1.75 million deal and then give uh, Nicholas uh, Delorier four years at $1.75 as well. Like, who are you competing against for that second contract? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, I don't have much more to say than that other than, like, I genuinely think, like, you know how we were talking about there's seven teams in the Metro in Philly? I genuinely think Philly probably thinks they're the, a team right in the mix in the Metro too, and they are going to be sorely dis- – the management there is going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah, they clearly think they're they're good. They think they're smarter than everyone else. They have to for the fact that everyone else is so down on them and they keep making moves that imply that they think they're good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's last, going to be a reckoning. Last big piece of uh, news here is that Matthew Kachuk has told the Calgary Flames he is not signing long-term. Uh, it sounds like he's going to be traded, and it wouldn't be surprising if he's traded before the season starts, even maybe in the next couple of weeks here. Um, massive news. Not necessarily shocking after the Goudreau domino falls, um, but still surprising to see a caliber of that player move in general in the league, right? 
hundred percent will be. And he's so young. Like it's one thing when Stone got traded, but at least Stone was what, like twenty-eight. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's four years younger. Yeah, like usually this is the contract you sign for like four or five years to bridge you to that 28, 29 year old UFA season. Yeah. But um, yeah, so 24 year old RFA, uh, the destinations he said he was going to sign long-term, he would sign long-term was St. Louis. And then like five locations that didn't have a income state tax, basically like Dallas and all they're from St. Louis too. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So his dad played, they're from St. Louis. His dad played uh, years there. I'm pretty sure. Um, and, you know, so that's always been the big thing of people have, since they were drafted, basically, have put together that the Kachucks are going to go play in St. Louis at some point. And that's why a bunch of Sens fans took a victory lap, even if the AAV was a little higher than expected on Brady Kachuk signing eight years because he signed eight years. Yeah. And hey, after they've been burned so many times, I respect that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was like St. Louis, Florida. Vegas was another one. Um, let's see, Kachuk long term. I'm just seeing if I can find the exact list of places he said he would go. Um, oh man, there's so many quotes on this report. This is crazy. Um, anyways, I think it'll probably make sense that. There's always going to be a couple teams that probably try try and uh, swoop in at the last second to see if they can get him for two years or whatever and convince him to say, here's a list. St. Louis, Vegas, Florida, Nashville, and Dallas are options. New Jersey and the Rangers are also among teams that have expressed interest in the past. So, again. Every American team with space. Yeah, then Vegas, Florida, Nashville, Dallas all have very low income or no income tax. But um, I don't – It'll be interesting if puts a package together because Vegas doesn't have the space. No, Vegas, I can't imagine. Although we've said that before. Yes, we have. We have. Florida doesn't have the space. Nope. Nashville does. Like they can make the space. Yeah. The, the biggest problem I have with both Nashville and St. Louis, Nashville even more so, is like Kachuk is a really, really, really good player. I don't think he puts either of them over the top, though, especially not Nashville. For sure, because, yeah, Nashville or even St. Louis, I saw a lot of things. Oh, you can trade one of, like, Thomas or Cairo plus all your picks for him or whatever. Do you want to be keeping Thomas and Cairo if you're acquiring Matthew Tuchuk? You You want to be trading prospects and picks for him. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're acquiring Matthew to Chuck, you're saying this is the piece we're ready to win a cup. Yeah, you're not trading roster players now. And honestly, if you're Calgary, I mean, if you could get Robert Thomas, you take that. But I like St. Louis isn't trading him. No. You're not getting that for him. No, or and it's probably not even worth it. Like you just lost your two best players in a week. You're gonna have to rebuild. That sucks, but and, and that's the thing. Whereas, like I was about to say, you're not take, you don't want either of those guys. You'd rather picks. But if you can get Robert Thomas, and he's what 23. Yep. Well, like, Thomas is young enough. Yeah. You. Yeah. They, they, you exactly. Right. So he's young enough. You can maybe build around. But yeah, just in general, you probably don't want roster players. You want a ton of futures and good prospects because training Kachuk signals you're going to have to rebuild. 
yep. or retool you, you at the lost, very least. You lost two 100-point players. You're not going to be able to just run it back and see what yeah, happens. Exactly. So um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes um, and, you know, who tries to make some packages for them. Uh, I'm going to be, like, insanely interested to see what a package even looks like because it's just – there's – I, I absolutely are going to see a bunch of teams probably not put together an amazing package, just knowing Calgary kind of has to trade him. Yeah. I wonder if it'll look like the Eichel package where you'll have some sort of young player with upside Tage Thompson, some sort of middle six player like Alex Tuck and then picks. Yeah, I could see it. And I think they'll probably have to add on like, like I could see St. Louis giving up two first round picks and a prospect or something like that. If, yeah. if it comes with an eight-year extension, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I, I assume you're not trading for him unless you know you can sign. But, I mean, that's the other – something could. Yeah. Like, let's say a deal doesn't get done this summer, or even if it does get done this summer. If the market ends up being so low that you could get him for what you would get for whoever the biggest player is come trade deadline day, you're probably doing that if you're a team that's close to the cup. Yeah, yeah, even, even if you have to walk them to UFA. Yeah, like, and, and again, that's if the market doesn't materialize, which, you know, you think it should be for a guy who is legitimately like a top 10 winger in the league. Yeah, he is a 100-point power forward, so Literally. I have a feeling it will. But Yes, but like, let's say, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a team here that has the space to even do it or whatever, but because that's the problem. He's, he doesn't have a contract right now either. But let's say you traded, let's say um, the Rangers, they have $4.8 million in space or whatever. If they are like, hey, we literally, we think we're one step away. We were just in the conference finals. We've spent a bunch of money this offseason. Uh, if you're the Rangers, I mean, they still cack on the side. But if you're the Rangers, you go, hey, like, Kachuk, we know, we're not sure if we could sign you long term, but we'll give you a one-year deal at, and maybe even if you take a discount price, then you, we'll walk you right to UFA or whatever. They would give up a first, their first this year, and whoever the hell Calgary wants as their top couple prospects or whatever. Two firsts and Niels Lundquist or something. Yeah, exactly. Because like, if that was at the deadline and Matthew Kuchuk was a twenty-seven-year-old who was about to hit free agency, they would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, you do that without blinking. So again, that's if the market doesn't materialize, which I find it hard to believe it wouldn't. But um, the timing of it is tough for Calgary too because. There's only so many teams that can really afford to get him right now without having to give much up. Granted, I think if you're Calgary, you should play the smart and probably take that. You could take money back on for teams. Yeah, you could. Assuming ownership's on board, you should be able to take a decent amount of money. Yeah, like if the if the deal breaker between St. Louis or whatever is you have to take Brandon Sod's contract, you should do that. Yeah, and Sod's the kind of middle six guy, though, probably because it's the classic, a young prospect uh, roster player and then picks or whatever. Like a sod player is like player is probably coming back. Yeah. Like two first sod. I saw, I know someone that said uh, Jake neighbors would be a name maybe. And then uh, another one of their prospects as well. I can't remember his name, but um, so like two prospects, a first sod. And then actually I think they said Torquay crew too. Like crew's another name though. It's like, if they can move him, like that's the type of contract you might have to take back. Yeah, just to make the money work. Man, I just, St. Louis roster is so underwhelming. I like their forwards a lot, but 
in terms of like shooting talent, but man, their defense core is Falk, Krug, Perieko, Letty, Scandella, Bortuzzo. If all of those guys who went on shooting heaters last year don't repeat that, it's going to look ugly fast. Yeah. Like, it sounds like Tarasenko still wants out too. Oh, really? I thought last yeah. year I talked to him in this thing. No, apparently all the reports from even after the playoffs or like after the run last year was just like he still probably wants out. Fair enough. I guess once your heart's set, it's probably pretty tough to change that. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's all I have. Uh, I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, you can check my workout at lastwordonhockey.com, chase at actionnetwork.com, me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. We might be back with an episode next week. Chase is pretty busy with school stuff wrapping up. So if we find time to record, we will. Or maybe I'll have a guest on or something. Um, But we'll see. But if not, we'll definitely be back at you in two weeks. Um, So thank you everyone so much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week.